Welcome, Tales of Glory listeners. I'd like to welcome you to episode Big 62. We are diving back into the book of Exodus, spiritual warfare in the Old Testament, and we are covering Exodus 8. We got three plagues to go through today. Plague number two, the frogs. Plague number three, the gnats. And plague number four, the flies. Interesting stuff. Um, we're going to dive back into why this is relevant in spiritual warfare, especially when dealing with the occult. Because information isn't really covered that much. And a lot of pastors write sermons because they expelled a demon deliverance or something, and they try to associate basic low-level demon deliverance with actually being able to expel higher spirits that believe they're gods, as we were dealing with here in Egypt and the book of Exodus. So good stuff here today. So let's dive in. What do we got, Mac? For those of you who need to know, I'm your Reverend Michael Norton. I am your host. I am the missionary with the microphone, especially more so now with COVID. That's or in the post-COVID days, but we don't know if travel's really been opened up to most places. I don't really want to deal with the CRISPR stuck in my arm and messing with my body, so I'm waiting for things to open up and push out the COVID restrictions here. I am the CEO of M16 Ministries, founded around 2007. I was the director of Night Strike Homeless Ministry from 2006-2016 when I took the reins from um, Bob Johnson, who was the founder of this and started back in 1999. It was a street ministry for homeless in San Francisco, but we did more than just the homeless there. I'm a spiritual warfare minister and an exorcist, um, and I worked with ritual abuse survivors from 2006 to present. So uh, I still have cases going on, still culturally relevant cases for this thing. I was also the pastor for Remnant Church. That was a church we had prior to COVID that was dealing with people who had dissociated identity disorder and ritual abuse survivors, who people who wanted to just um, be able to be safe in a church. We were like a secondary church and met Saturday nights. And just, you know, DID attacked or ritual abuse stuff triggered up. It was a safe place to have church and work with people so they didn't have to worry about what happened in church. The regular church, cool stuff. I'm also the author of Field Guide Spiritual Warfare, a field guide to advanced spiritual warfare and cosmology and demonology in Genesis 1 through 11. I've been a missionary in various places around the world and did spiritual warfare there. So that's pretty much my credentials. Again, I'm going to get this out of my face. Get this away. Thank you very much. So what are we looking at here, Mike? The Book of Exodus and Battling the Occult. That's why we're here. Introduction. The Book of Exodus is significant in teaching us how to deal with the occult and regional spirits. Nowhere in Exodus does God instruct Moses to bind principalities. Get that through your heads. So yes, these spiritual battles in Exodus are against the occult powers of principalities, the sons of God, the Elohims, who inherited the regions from Yahweh's divorce of nations back in Genesis 11. What am I referring to? There's a whole backstory. I suggest you guys go pick up cosmology and demonology in Genesis 1-11, through my book I wrote on um, what's going on here. And it will fill in the blanks a lot, so we don't have to backtrack. But it's a good thing if you're in spiritual warfare to become fully um, immersed in that information and what's going on, because it's not really taught. But I'll move forward. So we're dealing with when God divorced the nations, the Elohims, the sons of God, some wicked ones got some territories. God kept the Hebrews for themselves. You know, go back, look at Genesis 11. It's there. So, the context of spiritual warfare in Exodus, and why is it important today? Relevant story time with Reverend Mike. Here we go. So I'm also involved in a case currently. It's been going on for a couple of weeks that was brought to my attention, actually, from a, a fellow Night Strike um, minister. And she's used to discernment, and she's used spiritual warfare. We did it all in the streets. And we had this interesting case come up that involved both dissociative identity disorder 
and spiritual attachment. Several large deliverance ministers had this thing fall through their cracks and their ministers didn't know what to do with it. One deliverance ministry team, I can't believe they do this, they charged her $900 and got her nowhere but frustrated her more. I also know this individual went to, I'm here out here in the Central Valley, California, went to a major popular Instagram present, social media present deliverance minister who has large conferences online and his team botched it because they don't understand deliverance. And I'm just saying this now because it's it's getting tiresome because I'm the guy that calls to come do the cleanup when deliverance ministers who think they know what they're doing and scare the crap out of the people they're working with and tell them they have demons and send them home. They can't cast them out. And I'm the guy that's called to come help these people and work through this. So in this case, we have a case of dissociated identity disorder, a survivor of severe trauma that has parts with them, but also a case of witchcraft detachment where high witch and possibly several others are oppressing this person. And at first I thought this was tannic ritual abuse, but it wasn't. It's it's something later on. That it's like a misogynistic, evil, wicked, perverse person who's a high-level witch is doing this person, astral projecting this person. They're raping him, doing all sorts of stuff. So I and my um, fellow Night Strike minister brought me into this. We're working with this person. We're shutting things down. And we this person we're working with was surprised we weren't doing it the way the other deliverance teams were. And what I was doing is something very similar that's happening here in Exodus. When she was under attack but right before us, the astral projections coming in, we're getting those witchcraft headaches. We stuff, you know, we feel stuff projecting and attacking her while it's happening. Um, there were spirits moving inside her, you could feel it. And these were um these were attacks of witchcraft that we brought in the Holy Spirit and did it very similar to we're gonna listen to the Holy Spirit right now and bring peace. And as the Holy Spirit entered the room, there was peace in the room, and the attack started shutting down, and the demon that we felt was moving started squiggling more, and we worked on expelling that one. So What's happening in Exodus is very relevant now because we have to listen to God. We weren't binding principalities. We know this was a high-level witch who was calling stuff that was out of our jurisdiction. Mike, what are you talking about? Well, you better go back and read Cosmology and Demonology in Genesis 1-11 through to understand why there's a difference between Luke 10-17 deliverance and Mark 9-29 exorcism. And this case kind of fell in between both as well as working with inner healing on healing parts of this individual. But the fact that the, this, this witch was able to astral projecting while we were doing ministry. I think it happened with the deliverance ministers. They didn't know what the hell to do with it. And we did. And we brought the Holy Spirit in and we, we shut stuff down, man. It, it's a, it's a walkout for this person because they've been attacked for a long time. We're shutting it down. But it's basically pretty much the demonstration that God showed Moses and Aaron in Exodus. Listen to me. I will tell you what to do. We can't start flipping our mouths out. I'm buying the, the the water spirits. I'm binding the Leviathan. By the way, the Leviathan is a symbol of chaos. It is not a demonic spirit, but it's also a metaphorical representation of Satan, too. So these people are like, I'm buying the Leviathan spirit now. <laughs> go read up, guys. Um, man, I, I could just go on. But let me say why this is culturally relevant today for spiritual warfare, because we're in the area of 2 Timothy 3-4 with Jannies and Jambres and the um, Casting the occult. The occult's high right now. It is riding high, and we need to know how to deal with it. Because Jannies and Jambres were the high-level priests, magicians, and pharaoh's court. And we know that from um, 2 Timothy. So let's dive in here and look at how we deal with warfare and why we're dealing with gods. A lot of time we're dealing with witchcraft. There's something gods. There's something, something way up high up on the food chain. It's, it's crazy. 
So it's, and it's God who deals with them. Oh, by the way, I don't want to go rabbit trailing here, but there was an interesting show on Discovery Plus. You have it. It was called The Haunting in Michigan or the Michigan Hell House. That's what it was called. And the switch lived across the street in the 70s from this, this family. And she cursed them and she conjured and she lost control of the demon she was conjuring. Go figure, right? And so it, she wanted to uh, get their house. These other people were across the street. So the demon go live in it. And she cast spells on this person. It went, it was horrible. It was like the Amityville borderline exorcist thing. But anyway, long story short, of course, Discovery Channel, the paranormal call a high-level witch in to attack the high-level witch. And so it's a high-level witch do. She starts using the Catholic prayer for um, protection for the Archangel Michael. <laughs> it was kind of funny. And then she starts reading Psalms over the land to calm it down. And then she thanks God for bringing it peace. And you're going, what the heck is going on, right? Even the high-level witches know that God is the uh, the highest on the food chain. So I don't know why they're into witchcraft or why they do what they do, but it's all deception, right? Again, that's a case of Matthew too. Like, de- depart from me. You, you cast out demons. I never knew you, right? Because God doesn't know that person. They're, they're worshiping other gods. And, you know, rule number one is love your God above anything else, right? Love your God with all your heart and all your might and all your strength and put no other gods before him. So it's... They're not going to stand a chance before him. But I thought that was interesting that the witch was calling on God, calling Yahweh to defend them from these high-level demons. And that's exactly what we're doing here today. And there's a whole template here and what to do. Basically, you let God fight the fight. And when we have to come in and there's something in our jurisdiction, we pluck them off and we bind them. When it's high-level, we have our trust and faith in God. That's what we're working with this woman right now is she doesn't have the trust that God will deliver her. And it takes time. And when that light bulb goes on, that's when the witchcraft is pushed out and things accelerate and the total healing comes. So with no further ado, let's dive into our Exodus. Chapter 8. So just a quick recap. Plagues. These are called Ten Acts of Decreation. That's what um, Tim Mackey, the, the Bible Project, calls them. Number one, the Nile turned to blood. Number two, frogs came up out of the Nile. We'll hit that one today. Number three, gnats supernaturally swarmed the land. We'll hit that one today. Number four, flies supernaturally swarmed the land. Five, plague, disease. It was actually a real plague. Number six, boils. Number seven, hailstones. Eight, locusts supernaturally swarmed. Nine, darkness over the land. And ten, death of the firstborn, judgment of Pharaoh's drowning of the Hebrew boys in the Nile. Those are the ten strikes of decreation that God's going to do to so we're going to focus on number two, three, and four, frogs, gnats, and flies today. In Exodus 8, let's dive in. Exodus 8, the second plague, frogs. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into the Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if he refuse to let him go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into your houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and your people and all of your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, catch that right there. The Lord said to Moses, that's part of the battle. The communication is from the general, the commander in chief. So number five, verse five. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, 
Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers and over the canals and over the pools and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So it's an act of warfare. Stretch out your hands. You catching this? So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. We've done this before when we were praying with that woman. We stretched out our hands as an act of warfare. God Yahweh is a God, a warrior God coming in. The line of Judah is coming crashing in. We raise our hands and stretch them out. We're in an act of warfare, a prophetic act of warfare. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow, Moses said, Be it as you say, so that you may go there, that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields. And they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. It's kind of interesting that the Pharaoh's sorcerers, the Kartamim, they were able to replicate the plague, but they couldn't stop the plague. Right? That was one of the powers they were supposed to be able to doing. So anyway, let's look at discussion notes from Exodus 8, um, verses 1 through 15. Pharaoh's Kartamim sorcerers, priests, can replicate the plague of frogs, but they can't bring order to Ma'at. Ma'at was a religion of order, right? That's what the pharaohs were supposed to be bringing order to, and so were the priests working through Pharaoh. The priests are supposed to be Pharaoh's assistant in maintaining Ma'at, but they ended up making things worse. So these notes come out of um, Dr. Michael Heiser's presentation on um, Exodus 8 through 10 in his Naked Bible podcast. So the second plague is against Egyptian deities. The frogs is a sign of divine power. The fertility goddess Heket was depicted as a woman with the head of a frog. She was a spouse of the creator Kanum. Heket holds an ankh symbolizing life. Do you guys remember that? Um, a lot of times these Christian witches wear the ankh instead of the cross. And you'll see that quite a bit too. Or it's or the Christians think, oh, I'm wearing an ankh. It's, not, it's, it's, it's an Egyptian symbol. It's regarding the, the goddess Heket. And Kanum fashioned life on the potter's wheel. Remember that from, I think that was from Exodus 1, where the midwives went and talking about the potter's wheel. Remember that? Heket blew life into them. So Kanum fashions life on the potter's wheel, according to Egyptian creation mythology. And Heket blew life into them. Heket also had the responsibility of the number of frogs created in protecting the frog. So she lost control of this. So again, we're talking about gods, Heket, Kanum. We're talking about regional spirits. They weren't, these, are, these are the Elohims. Gosh, Mike, the Elohims um, presenting itself as a female. I thought that wasn't possible. Well, there you go. There it is. There it is. 
So the Plague of Frogs plays against this imagery. Yahweh demonstrates that Heket is not in control. She's not in control of fertility. Yahweh had complete sovereignty over all of Egypt, her gods, and their fertility. So he brought chaos in this now. So all the way through the food chain. The um, Kartamim, the, the priests, they couldn't control it and stop it with their sorcery. Pharaoh couldn't control it because power was funneled through you know, Horus, through Pharaoh, and empowered through his priests. And the local regional gods couldn't, they had to bow to Yahweh like, we can't, we can't undo what he's doing. And they, they these these spirits know who they are. <laughs> they know they're gonna get smacked. They were they were um, rebelling against God, Yahweh, the, the you know the God Almighty. They were part of the divine council, who got the nations through the when God divorced the nations back in Genesis eleven. That's what's going on here. So it wasn't some weird funky religions going on here. This is actually side effects or stuff that happened after Genesis eleven occurred here in Egypt. So Dr. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project. In Genesis, let the water swarm with creatures. Okay, that was with Genesis, right? So here we have the decreation. Now the creatures, the frogs, are swarming out of the water. Chaos, decreation event. So let's move on to the third plague, the gnats. Or have I heard some people call it gats? I don't know why the end silent, right? We use gnats, and then other people make the end silent with gats. Oh, whatever. The third plague is gnats. So Exodus 8, verse 16, let's start. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth. Remember the action of a prophetic action of, of warfare. Reach out your hands. Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all of the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. What do we know about dust? If you're following along here in the podcast, that tells glory. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all of the land of Egypt. Remember, um, Genesis was at three fifteen, where is there three fourteen or three fifteen? Where I think it's three fifteen, where God is chewing out the serpent, and you'll return to the dust, the sign of mortality. That the um, the serpent, the devil, will not will, will face death. Right. So dust is usually a sign of death. Dust is also a sign in the, the garden of creation where we were you know, formed from the dust and the Holy Spirit breathed life, a rock breathed life into us. So all the dust of the earth became gnats in the land of Egypt. Here's another de- deconstruction event right there, guys. There it's happening. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God, Yahweh. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So here at the point now, the, the sorcerers can't reproduce the, these miracles, right? They can't do it anymore. This is out of their paycheck league. Let's look at some discussion notes here. Some Dr. Michael Heiser, Naked Bible Podcast, on Exodus 8-10. through 10. Herodotus mentions Pharaoh's priests shave themselves to keep themselves free of lice and bugs. Now, if the insect bites, the priests are unclean. They can't work with the Egyptian gods and maintain ma'at. The priests are defiled. This disrupts any ritual acts. They were lector priests who possessed forbidden knowledge of sorcery. Remember early on the text said they had secret they had secret books and secret knowledge? They, the lectors possessed the, um, the forbidden knowledge of sorcery. The lector priest carries the ritual book. 
the manifested priest is unable to perform rituals. They're defiled. They got sores all over them. So God just disconnected some of the powers from Pharaoh. He can't go to his priests for help now. He just isolated them. So neither can the priests do rituals to summon gods or demons or or um, these high-level spirits. They're, they're, they're defiled. They can't do it. They can't perform rituals. It's kind of cool. This is warfare. Here we go. God's shutting stuff down. You just follow Jesus. He knows what to do. So I'm talking about pray to Jesus. Lord, show us. Show us how to shut this down. And just wait and receive what he says. He'll show you. Or sometimes he'll go do it. I've had times where Jesus just went in and mocked these spirits. These high-level spirits. It's kind of interesting just to show him. Like, you, you, <laughs> I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to smack you right across the face. So Yahweh demonstrates his control of order of the cosmos and the earth. So the Heket, Kanum, Ra, Horus, Pharaoh, the priests, they all lost control. There's, Egypt's now thrown into total chaos with the gnats. It's dust. Symbol of dust is death. So Dr. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project associates the gnats with, with coming from dust. Dust is a biblical motif for mortality. We discussed that. Strike the dust of the land and it will become gnats. Life came from the dust and we return to the dust. The gnat represents dust with death. The gnat represents death and the decreation events that are going on here. Remember, this is, these are decreation events. God's just going, I'm going to take it all away. I'll bring it into chaos. Show you who's boss. Who can decreate it? Who can recreate it? So that brings us into the fourth plague, flies. Exodus 8.20 Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, Thus says the Lord, let my people go, that they may serve. I know Dr. Tim Mackey kept bringing up the motif of mourning, creation events, like creation happened in a day, and we have these things happening in the morning, the creation events, and it go through the full day. So rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water. So again, we're going out to the water, and we're going to bring chaos. The waters will bring chaos again. So verse 21, Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold... I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. There's nowhere else. It's pretty nasty. But on that day, I'll set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There became great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarm of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? <laughs> We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. That's pretty cool. You know, like, go, just go do the sacrifice here. No, it's going to offend your people. They're going to stone us if we do it here. So interesting stuff there, right? Yeah, we're going to be sacrificing your gods to our God. That's, that's the problem here. <laughs> so let's look back at um, discussion notes. Dr. Michael Heiser makes a comment that the Hebrew says biting, says biting flying insect were these mosquitoes, biting flies, or possibly even dung beetles to mock a deity? Remember back in the, was the, the, the mummy? 
that came out back in the nineties or something. Where they, the, those, those little dung beetles were going after and attacking people and devouring them. He's saying it's quite possible because the Hebrew mentions they were f- flying, biting insects. They didn't specifically say flies, right? So we have that conundrum here. What was it? Was it were they mosquitoes? Are they biting flies? Or possibly even a dung beetle? Those things can fly. Good stuff here, man. Good, interesting stuff. Good warfare. It's like it's. If you ever go out into like um, South America and you're dealing with voodoo, or you're going to like Africa and dealing with voodoo, or in the, in the Caribbean islands, the witches will send these swarms of. Um, pestilence and infestations of lice and they'll send them of ants or they'll send them of frogs. They do this stuff all the time there. I've encountered this in my travels too when I worked with people. So this is interesting. It's it's you know the enemy just mocks God and repeats what he does. So it's it's cool that God just goes, you know what? I'll cause it this time. Let's see what you guys can do to stop it. And they couldn't. So Dr. Tim Mackey associates the decomposition and flies breaking down the rotting flesh. In Genesis we are to be a blessing and fill the land. Here in this decreation event, the flies fill the land with death, decomposition. The other interesting point here too was Yahweh separates his people in Goshen from the Egyptians and proclaims there will be no flies with his people. So my people aren't going to have any problems with what you're going to have. Like they're all over the ground. They're everywhere. This is disgusting, right? This is like the nasty of nasty of plagues. It's like, ugh. So then again, his priests can't do anything. They're defiled. They probably got flies in their mouths, flies everywhere, and they can't do a darn thing about it to get rid of them. They can't see their food. They can't eat. There's nowhere safe. Flies are just everywhere. So verse 28. So Pharaoh said, I'll let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Yeah, don't don't double back on us like you did before. This time, if you're going to let us go, let us go, and don't don't cheat on us again by not letting our people go. Otherwise, you're getting smacked in the head again. But they're going to, right? We know the story. So verse 30, So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked, and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But (laughs) Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and did not let the people go. Here we go again. You think after the flies, like, just go, just go, just go, don't come back, just go. Like, (laughs) right? I don't even want you guys back, just go. But no, it's like, he's after it, man. Something's going on here. So that's the end of Exodus 8. So you see, things you contend with in spiritual warfare when we deal with the occult. I'm just going to jump in the flies. The flies are like an oppression we can get, even though we're not surrounded by flies. Like the woman I was talking about, she was getting constantly raped, constantly yelled at in her head. Um, we, we established and discerned the voices weren't the DID voices. They were the guy astral projecting. And we could f- discern the presence when it was happening. And it's constant, nonstop. So your body's surrounded by it. You can't get away from it. It's kind of like the swarm of the flies. And God will shut it down. He will shut it down. But there's also a trial there for the person. That person must trust Jesus. Aaron and Pharaoh trusted Jesus. Hey, we're going to go back and talk to our God. He'll shut it down. We'll catch you later. High five the Pharaoh full of flies and, you know, off they go. But when we're a Christian dealing with the occult, we're dealing with the haunting, we're dealing with demonic, defiled houses, we must trust Jesus. He will use it as a trial. 
to get us to where we need to be. And this is um, a deeper thought in spiritual warfare that's not taught in books. But I usually help people to get through these trials. I said, flip it from a, a cult attack to a trial for you, for Jesus, on what he wants you to fix and where you need to be. I've gone through a lot of horrible trials to get through where I'm in now. It wasn't because, oh, you got an anointing, you know, you got a calling. Yeah, there was a calling, but to move me to where Jesus needed me to be, I went through some nasty trials, nasty trials, toward the point where I'm totally trusting Jesus and I can walk and look at somebody's face and go, look at me, look at me, I've been through this true. You can get through this and this ends, this does end. And But you have to get through, God will deliver you from the flies all over you. God will deliver you from you know, the sickness. God will deliver you from this. And he will shut it down, but he wants to show you that you need to trust him. He's not a genie. It's a two-way street. And that's what we talk about the relationship with Jesus. You have to know he's real. You have to know he's there. And this person we were working with, too, um, which is incredible, too, she already has mystical experiences where she can see Jesus and feel him. And this was a highlight that when we worked with her during the attacks to focus on Jesus and bring back that, that, that event where Jesus came in and held her hand, that it shut down a lot of the stuff. I'm telling her that, that this is how you fight this stuff. You need to bring back the mystical experiences. And that's called ascetical prayer where we have to you know, prime it ourselves. But if you've had the mystical experiences before, you have the certitude these demons can't remove from you what really happened. Because it wasn't psychosomatic because it goes somewhere deeper in the brain and memory. This was real. I've talked about my um, intellectual vision as a child with um, Jesus. right? I felt him so powerfully it never shook me. And to this day, I, I, I know that feeling when he comes in on um, spiritual battle. Like, yeah, you can feel the demons. You can feel the witch's actual projecting by this. Go feel the Holy Spirit there. And that was part of my trust factor I had learned going through my generational haunting I went through. So I've been through this stuff, guys. And I'm telling you, this that's why this stuff's pertinent. Look how Jesus does it. You could be going through your own swarm of flies. Do you trust Jesus? Or are you going, no, no, on second thought, you know, I don't know. These things are going to attack me because the, the demons are bringing you ungodly mindsets to keep you where you're at. That's what the battle is. It's all in the mind. So even though you have these um, you have these raping spirits, something comes, it shuts down. It shuts down. Um, like I said, I only work with a few people because I'm, I'm getting older now and I, I, I get battle. I mean, I felt I have physical damage to my body from some of these spiritual battles. So I, I pick and choose and Jesus says, I don't have to take on all the battles. I don't. I know that upsets a lot of people, and I just turn them down. But Jesus goes, nope, not that one, not that one. No, I want you over here. So I have to go where he points me to, right? Just like Moses and Aaron. I go where, you know, Moses and Aaron didn't walk back into the Pharaoh by themselves. Hey, you know what? We haven't heard from Jesus. Let's just go in, uh, you know, go poke, you know, go poke him in the shoulder with some more um, special effects and stuff. Like, nope, it's not it. You can't go on your own. You have to do what Jesus tells you. And when he tells you to raise your arm, you raise your arm. If he tells you don't raise your arm, don't raise your arm. But in these battles, you know, you walk in against something and something could be throwing knives or throwing stuff against a wall. Raise your arm. Prophetic thing of battle. Jesus, I raise my arm here. He says yes. Or he may say no. He knows back out a second. I want to talk to you outside. Go outside and talk to him. You know, it's just how it works. You have to hear from Jesus. You have to work on this. So that's why this stuff is relevant today. This is this is the blueprint for battling the cult. That's what Moses and Aaron were doing. They were fighting high-level government regional spirit, a cult that was beyond their dominion, beyond their authority. It was just way out there. But who took care of it? The God of gods. Who controls the cosmos? Who controls where these beings are out in the spirit realm? Jesus does. Jesus did. Jesus delivered him. Jesus delivered him all through this. This is Jesus Christ. So that's the point I want to make today, guys. Good stuff. Good, good stuff. Like I said, I, 
I, I fought back and I teach through Exodus too. And I work with these people, especially this woman. Remember when I mean, we talked about that? Because during the battle, when I, Jesus said, raise your arm during battle, I said, okay, everybody prophetically raise your hand in battle. Raise our arm. We're go- Jesus is going to strike. And he did. And the stuff slowed down the room. We didn't hardly say anything. We just prayed in Jesus, prayed in tongues. Uh, very quietly. It wasn't loud. We we're all very quiet. So we don't, you know, mumble over each other. But stuff starts shutting down. That's how you do it. It's very simple. You know, you don't need all these books on rooting demons. I don't use them. I think a lot of them just take us off in a direction that's human legalism doctrine. And it's just messed up. A lot of deliverance ministries right now are bad. The big one I was talking about here, it's on Instagram. He's on YouTube. He's everywhere. And he has, you know, he has a great charisma and well-received out here in the Central Valley. He's, he's just you know, promoting Christian mythology. And it's not working. And it's not helping people. It's injuring people. And that's why I'm getting my message out. Actually, I'll be doing a lot of teaching out here in the California here pretty soon um, in classes and in churches. So if your churches want this training, let me know and I'll try to arrange something. We have like a, a six to eight session um, intensive spiritual warfare course on training all the way up to exorcism. So guys, what do we got here? Is there any more slides? My closing thoughts? Um, again, like I said, if you like what you like here, I'm, I'm still working on getting employed here. It's taken a long time in this environment. Uh, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button. You know, send us comments through a field guide spiritual warfare.blogspot.com and look for episode 62 on this one. Or you can go to a field guide spiritual warfare on Facebook and log in and ask questions there. Again, we need financial blessings to keep us running to produce more content. If God puts it on your spirit, uh, go to um, PayPal and send a blessing to m16 ministries at gmail.com. We also have books. We don't make a lot of money off books. Otherwise, I wouldn't be looking for a job if I did. You know, I'd be producing more books. But they're, it's my passion to get the truth and information out there. and They're heavily researched. So a field guide spiritual warfare is the one I hand out to all the people who have hauntings. I also gave this lady who's going through this witchcraft stuff. The field guide to advance spiritual warfare is something I want to give to pastors and counselors. You just um, purchase that book on Amazon. And there's links on a field guide spiritual warfare.blogspot.com. Um, there's cosmology and demonology in Genesis 1 through 11. If you're anything but serious about your spiritual warfare, get a hold of that book. You need to understand what are demons and what are divine spiritual beings that are evil and Elohim. So you need to understand that because not taught in church, we're taught a Catholic charismatic um, choir of angels thing, which is wrong. Finally, you can also check out the uh, my home base uh, website is wwwafg 2 sw.com that's www.afg number two sw.com an acronym for a field guide to spiritual warfare and pretty much it also um go check out a previous podcast i have on um i'm doing the m16 night strike outreach boot camp on how to do street ministry and I also sell a booklet for like a book 99 that, that's over there on um, a previous podcast thing. Go look at uh, podcasts either 60 or 61. There's a few of them back there and you'll find that. And that's that's something cool to learn here too because I'm talking about street ministry. I think the next episode, probably podcast 63, we're going to talk about street healing from that book. Um, how to pray for healing in the streets. We've had some crazy stories from there. All that's full of crazy testimony and stories. You may want to go check that out. In closing, Mike's Spiritual Warfare Tips of the Week. Be sure to work in your presence of hearing God and practicing His presence. And never seek deliverance from a minister with the title Apostle in front of their name. I'm sorry, just what it is. I had that from last week. I didn't delete the slide because it's true. If they have the self-appointed, I'm an apostle. Oh, dear God. 
Um, I've seen people in ritual abuse too. They're, they're, they're counselors. They're apostles. And they're former, they call themselves former ritual abuse survivors. They're not. It takes about 10 years for me to work with somebody to bring nearly close to full healing for ritual abuse. And that's about what it is if they if they stick with it. So people, because I was self-healed by Jesus, it's not true. And there's a reason why it's not true, because it's a walkout. It's a healing. And if they're involved in ritual abuse, it's be careful, and especially the ones that have the apostle title names. I know somebody's been, one apostle himself has been sucking up a lot of these guys thinking, hey, this is great, and then not understanding what ritual abuse is. So it is what it is. So love you guys, and I'll catch you later. I'm signing out here from the M16 bunker. Make good choices. Be a blessing. Amen.